0: Yeah. No, Don't Hello. You were red. No, no, not yet. Hello. It's on mute. Hello. Oh, you Now it's on. Hello, people. Hello. It's great to be in the House of the Lord at Manclear again. Andrew. Just Dr. Pitt. Okay. Oh. Just let me have a. It's not coffee, by the way. I have one coffee in the morning. If I have anything later, I don't sleep. I have trouble sleeping anyway, so I don't want to be up all night. That's my wife's job. Oh, she's a night shift worker. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I'm going to do something very different today than what I normally do. I'm going to give you an exposition of a psalm. All right? Living your best life, the resurrection life, how ironic, how amazing that God orchestrated this to be on a day when we had some baptisms. Isn't God good, eh? Because what this represents is that what's been going on inside these people, God's changing them with a resurrection life. Let me read Psalm 30. The older I get, the harder it is to see. Even though I get my glasses changed every couple of years. He says, David, I will extol you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. O Lord, my God, I call to you for help "'And you healed me. "'O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. "'You spared me from going down into the pit. "'Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. "'Praise his holy name. "'For his anger lasts only a moment, "'but his favour lasts a lifetime. "'Weeping may remain for a night, "'but rejoicing comes in the morning. "'When I felt secure, I said, "'I will never be shaken. "'O Lord, when you favoured me, "'you made my mountain stand firm.' But when you hid your face from me, I was dismayed. To you, O oh Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, O oh Lord, and be merciful to me. O oh Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. When you first read this, there's some stunning verses in here that sort of catch your breath. You go, what? Hang on. What? And we're going to talk about those in a moment because they're not actually as they seem. See, one of the things I learned, talk about being a welcoming church, you must be because you've got a bread in your midst, right? (laughs) Those who understand what it means to be a brethren will understand that, right? I'm sitting there in the midst of this worship here before like this and I'm thinking, hey, God's got a sense of (laughs) humour. My background in a brethren church is the Holy Spirit was a dispensation in its past. And the gifts are all finished. All you've got to do is know the word of God inside out and everything will be okay. They didn't believe in a prosperity gospel. They also believed that when Jesus died on the cross it was finished, but that's not what they practiced because if anything went wrong in your life they'd say, whoa, what sin did you have? And that's the setting for this particular chapter, this psalm here. David's struggling with some deep thing in his life. We're not sure what it is. We're not told what it is. But what we are told from his words himself, that it was a death-defying experience. Okay? Okay, what have we got up here, Vicky? Thank you. First slide. Or well, second slide. Introduction. Yeah. It's okay. Just get there. You'll be right. One of the things I've learned as a counsellor, and I deal with a lot of Christians, and I don't just deal with Christians, I deal with all sorts of people. About 42% of the people that come into my room come from a Christian background. The others could be anything. And that's okay. It doesn't bother me. But one of the things I've learned from dealing with Christians is often when they have some tragedy or some really hard struggle come on, they actually fumble in trusting God. Been there? know I'm putting my hand up. Well, I could put, put both feet up if I could, but I'd fall over. All right? The truth is, we all struggle with that at times. And this psalm is actually being... David presenting his very human side when he's saying, I struggle with this. This has happened to me. Where are you, God? For goodness sake. Ever been there? You know, short time or a long time. You know, my wife said to me, what are you going to speak on? I said, I'm not sure this is a while ago when I was asked. And she said, well, I'm sure God will give it to you. And then the other day, when she said to me again, you decided what year," I said, "God's given me something." And I told her, and she said, "Ooh, see, that's a bit flat. That's not you usually." I said, "No, but somehow God wants me to give this to this group today." And she said, "Wow, you know that's very true." I've had those days too. I said, yeah, I know. And she said, no, you don't know. You know some of them. And then she started telling me. And I'm sitting there at the end of the table weeping because some of the things she's telling me I didn't know. And then we started sharing about times when we could put our hands up and say, God, where the heck are you? And then we sat down and said, okay, which was the worst for us? Not, not the individual thing. Which was the worst for us? Oh. I said, I don't know. Because I don't think there's any worse other than not being able to see God or feel God or know God's there. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It's a horrible place to feel. I want you to look at this chapter, this psalm here. You may not have it in your your Bible or on your phone or whatever, that's fine. I use a Bible. I'm a good brethren, okay? I'm only joking. I shouldn't knock the brethren like that. They're good people. They love God. They just have a different way of expressing it. Over the past eight weeks, I've preached in an apostolic church, Church of Christ, a Baptist church, an Anglican church, I don't know what the other one was, but they loved God. They loved God. And they were so welcoming. Because that's what God is. You know, we just celebrated Easter. The celebration of Easter is one of the two biggest celebrations in the Christian calendar. Right? You know? And it's often stated as a time for reflection on our life and What it cost God to give us a second chance? Well, to be honest, that quite saddens me. Because God never took our first chance away. And we need to understand that. God never took that chance away. That was the enemy that tried to do that. And how did he go with that? (coughs) Not very good, Okay. To me, Easter and the resurrection of Jesus is all about how much God loves us. You know, I hear people say, you know, God was so angry he had to kill his son. Hell no. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, seriously. You hear people say that? You know, I I used to come from a background where they taught that. You know what it says in John 3.16? For God was so angry. Oh, hang on. No, it doesn't. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Gave, sent his only son. Right? Loved. Mm. To me, this whole thing of Easter is about reminding us that we can love because he first loved. Right? That God is loving so much that he gave us his son not to condemn the world, and that's one of the things people often forget, John 3.16 says that, but John 3.17 says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. Why? Because he loves us so much. Can we get that? God's intention right from the beginning of time was to have relationship with his creation, his people, and he's never ever stopped wanting that. Ever. And what I've learned, even when I stuff up, God's still there. Yeah, even when my shame causes me to pull away, God's still there amen. at the door. Yeah. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Yeah. And if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that knocking is like this. Okay, brilliant, that's what, team. No, it's not that. That's not God. If you don't believe me, think about Elijah in the cave. Wasn't in the wind? Wasn't in the fire? The the thunder, the lightning? Wasn't in the crashing rain? It's in that still, small voice. just persistently and gently trying to get through. I'm here. To me, Easter is really about God trying to catch our attention again of how much he wants relationship with us. To me, God is love means God is with us. How can you love someone if you can't be with them? We sang about present this morning. God is here. He's always here. You no? Know? God is with us, always has been, always will be, forever. And he'll never leave us or forsake us. Ever. This is about the character of God. This is what Easter talks about. This is what the resurrection talks about. Removing all the obstacles so God can continue relationship. This psalm shows God's heart right from the beginning to have relationship with his people regardless of what's going on and even when we think he's not, he is. And I'll show you. David has this, next slide, David has this dramatic reversal in his life. We, again, we're not told why, we're not told what it is. But when you hear his words, it sounds like it's deep, death-defying. I will extol you, Lord. O oh, Lord, you have drawn me up. I cried to you for help and you have healed me. We don't know whether it's a sickness, an illness, or whether... You know, David had lots of people chasing him at one stage. He ended up in a few caves too. But apparently it was a death-defying experience because he mentions the word Sheol, and Sheol is a place where, back in the Old Testament, they believed the soul went before it got freed to God. Now, if you were Catholic... I think there's a name for that. Yeah, that's it. Purgatory. Well, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that. Because he got released. And God did it. Right? And the interesting is that this is brought back from this near-death experience and then he wrote this psalm. And the interesting thing was this psalm, this praise, this worship that he creates out of this experience, was then used to dedicate the temple when they opened it. That's what it meant to David. So it wasn't just some, oh, one of a dozen things. It was big. It was huge. And we get a sense of how huge in a moment. In the first three verses, we see evidence of David's brush with death when he says, I extol you, Lord, for you've drawn me up. I cried to you in help, and you healed me. Oh, Lord, you brought me up, my soul from Sheol, from the depths of death. He felt like his spirit was gone. And God's bringing him up. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. What's the pit? Hell. He felt like he'd been down there. Wherever that is. Depends on which way you face it up, I suppose, isn't it? We point down there, but the people on the other side of the world, that's up. I don't know where it is, but it's a horrible place. I know that. It's clear that David thought that his was all over. And then God brought him through it. David fills the remainder of the psalm with insights to communicate the dramatic reversal that he experienced. The Next slide, please. So we see this psalm of opposites, right? He says, O oh Lord, you have brought me up. And then he goes on and says, You restored my life from those who would go down. So there's an the up and a down. This is consistent with what Jesus taught in the New Testament about the kingdom. Remember Jesus talking about the kingdom? You know, people said, oh, it's over there. It's over there. It's up there. Jesus said, no, it's not. It's in here. It's not out there. It's in here. Opposites, right? Jesus' theme in teaching about the kingdom of God was you're saved from death to life, but you live because of death. The first shall be last. You've got to live unless you fall into the ground and die and, and you won't grow anything. The least will be most. If you want to be important, become a servant. That's what he taught. That's why they call it the upside down kingdom. People don't get it. In fact, what we try and do, and I'm not saying you and me, but too often in the world, what we try and do is conform Jesus into what we want him to be like. And he goes, "No, nah, not going to do that. That's what they call the upside-down kingdom. There's everything the opposite to what we think. And this pair of up-and-down actions reflect on how the Lord brought David from among those who would go down to the grave. These opposites fit with those themes about the kingdom, Right? Let's look at one of these particular opposites, the first contextual meaning. He says, and that was in verse 5, he says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This troubled me. This troubles me because I have a problem with God being angry. You understand what I'm saying here? David's perceiving that God is angry at him, why? Because something bad's happened that doesn't fit with God's character whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament you see if Jesus has finished the work on the cross what how has anything bad happened because God punishing us it's finished, amen it's either finished or it's not finished and if it's not finished what the heck did he die for Hello? It's finished. So if anything bad happens, folks, it's not because God's trying to get your attention, because James says God tests no man. God tests no man. It's coincidental. It's life. Or it could be the enemy trying to drag you down. And as I've sat with many Christians, often it is to shake their faith, their trust in God. So I decided I'm going to take a deep dive in a word study into this. So I looked up the Hebrew word, what it meant, anger, and I, what? You've got to be kidding me. It could mean face, nose, chin, cheek, will, pleasure. Why the heck did they pick anger? I don't go there. But I decided I'd look at it also from a psychological perspective, how we treat people. When people get anger angry, usually it comes from being hurt. When we get disappointed, when an expectation comes and it drops off and it doesn't meet our expectation. We get annoyed, angry, frustrated, disappointed. So let's change the word anger to hurt. God's hurt is but for a moment. But his favour lasts for a lifetime. And then I thought, hang on, hang on, I'm not comfortable with this word favour. What does that mean? Because I don't think God has favourites. Because it says that in James too, That God doesn't have favourites. So what's this mean? So unpack that, and you know what it means? His will for our pleasure. So, God's favour, God's will has been for our pleasure right from the beginning of time. We're not talking about prosperity gospel here. We're talking about God's intent. And what's the pleasure God wants? To have beautiful relationship with us. Right? I love my wife. I do. 45 years this year. That's since we got married. <clears throat> it was another eight years before that we went out. I was young. So was she. Maybe that's why our parents were so against it. Yeah, that's probably... Yeah. <clears throat> I know that when my kids asked us how old we were, we already made a pact when we had kids. We said, we'll not tell them how old we were. <laughs> and so when our 14-year-old come and said, Mum, Dad, I was talking with Uncle Rod, that's my brother, and he sees you only... Oh, no, I don't believe Uncle Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Which was actually two years younger than what she was. Yeah, 12. And I even had the courage at 12 to ask her if she'd marry me. No. <laughs> but the story's deeper than that. Because I first held a hand when she was five. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets creepier because we're walking to school. I didn't know her from a bar of soap, although she doesn't look like a bar of soap. But we're walking to school and it just happened that I, I, I saw this young girl run past the street where I was walking up Charleston Street. She was going along Eureka Street to Eureka Street School. And then I saw this guy following her in this car very slowly with his window down, leaning out the window with some lollies. And we'd been told at school, if you see this guy, run. I thought, oh my God, she's running. I'd better run too. (laughs) So I ran up to her and caught her and I said, are you okay? She said, no, that man's following me. I said, well, come with me. I grabbed her hand, held her hand and ran with her to the principal's office and I got a lolly from the principal. And unbeknownst to me, she never forgot me. I was her prince in shining armour. <laughs> and When I was in grade four, I got to know her brother. I didn't know I was her brother. And he took me home, as you do, to play. And this beautiful blonde, blue-eyed, long hair down to here walked out of the house and I went, "Whoa, that's that girl. And she walked up the drive and she said, you're that boy. Said, yeah, you're that girl, she said, yep. <laughs> and that was eight. <laughs> and then we got together on a Christian youth camp when we were twelve. When she was twelve, I was actually just turning, turned thirteen. So that beautiful relationship, that's what I was getting at, right? There's ups and downs. You have those type of things, don't you? Whether you've got a girlfriend or you're just in the home with mum and dad, you have those days when, oh, get off my back. Leave me alone. If I want to live in a messy bedroom, and then you tell your kids, don't copy me. Oh, you thought I was talking about them, Andrew. Oh, my God, I'm talking about you. We'll get get him back. We'll get him back. So the opposites are this: God's disappointed for a moment, but His pleasure of having our relationship is for a lifetime, never ends. Weeping and joy, night and morning. This is a dramatic, poetic way of the psalmist saying. This is what God does. This is what God can do. This is resurrection life. Okay? Turning it all around. The opposite of God's pain is our pleasure, the relationship of being in relationship with God. The opposite of a moment is a lifetime. The opposite of weeping is joy. The opposite of night is day, morning. Next contextual meaning. Down in verses 6 and 7, David goes like this: When I felt, we sang this this morning. When I felt secure, I would never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured, when your pleasure for my, your will for my pleasure, that's our relationship. When I felt that, I was strong. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed, and he, I was dismayed when I read that. Because I thought, hang on a minute. God, if God's the same yesterday, today, forever, and he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, this can't be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why would God hide his face? And then I thought, hang on a minute, back in the other verse, the meaning of anger is different. Maybe I'll unpack this. So I unpacked it. You know what it means in the Hebrew? I couldn't see you. Now, if I can't see you, that doesn't mean you were hiding Andrew. I mean, for Andrew to hide, that's going to be a big job, right? Thank you, Rob. We're gradually getting them. We're in there. No, but seriously, just because I can't see you doesn't mean you're hiding. And the interesting thing was, when I unpacked it a bit more, it actually says this. The reason I couldn't see you is because you weren't where I was looking. You were closer. Just press pause for a second. Let's jump over to the New Testament. You know the story about the disciples on the lake in the boat and it's a storm and they're freaking out and all of a sudden Peter, the boldest of them all goes, hey guys guys look can you see something over there? Peter, sit down you are in the boat no, look out there Peter, sit down, you are in the boat oh, hang on, Can can see something. And then one of them, I could just imagine one of them saying, get back from the edge, you lean it over one side. And then they sit back and they go, and Peter stands up and says, Jesus, is that you? <laughs> yeah, it is. Huh, really? Well, if it is you, let me come to you. All right, come on. Wasn't expecting that response. <laughs> well, come on. And what does he do? He gets over the side of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. And then what happens? Takes his eyes off and starts looking at the trouble around and he starts sinking. And I can just imagine, no I can't imagine Jesus saying, look at me, look at me. No. (laughs) I can just imagine Jesus reaching out and saying, here I am. And he helped him up. closer to what he thought. He wasn't going to let him sink. That's the character of God. So when I read this, what it's saying is, when I felt secure, felt, right? And when I unpack the word felt, do you know what that means? When I was thinking in my head, I'm okay. Oh, hang on. Isn't there a proverb about that? Pride comes before, yeah, something like that. When I felt, thought that I was okay, I was, I was okay. I wasn't going to be shaken until I was. Right? And then instead of looking at my pride, instead of looking at me going, that's what I'm telling myself, that I'm okay, I start looking for God and going, well, where are you? Where are you hiding? We start looking for God in all the wrong places. We start looking out there when our child's sick or someone's passed away or some tragedy happens in a family or some illness strikes us down. And we wonder, where are you God? Why are you doing this? But we're looking out there and there and there. What did Jesus say? In here. I will never leave you or forsake you because that's what relationship is. You might feel like at times your partner is not backing you. You might feel like at times they've left and abandoned you, but they're not. They're right there. And God is no different. In fact, God is more consistent because he never leaves, forsakes or abandons. You getting the message? You were so close. And I was dismayed because I couldn't see you. That's very different in the way it reads. Contextual meaning number three. Then towards the end of the chapter, at the end of the psalm, it says, You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord God, I will praise you forever. And you know what they use sackcloth for? You know what sackcloth is, by the way? You young kids probably don't know anything about it, but we used to get potatoes in brown hessian bags, big bags, you know, about this big. And if you were strong enough, you could lift them. If you weren't, you had to put them on the trolley, and then you had trouble lifting them on the trolley, right? And then they reduced the size of them down from... 70 kilo bags down to 25 kilo bags and you guys go on and pick them up in plastic bags and hold one in each hand and think you're tough. (laughs) And you you probably are, right? Because I probably couldn't do that. But the sackcloth was really harsh and what the Hebrews used to do was they would wear sackcloth if they got caught out doing something they shouldn't be doing and it was a way of publicly showing the people around them that they're sorry. And sometimes it was used also in mourning if someone died. And they'd put on sackcloth and then get ashes and tip over their head. Right? Not hot ashes, just ash. Darken and rub it on their face. So everything was blackened. And they'd sit like that sometimes for up to seven days as a sign that they were saddened, contrite, in some cases repentant. And that's what David's talking about here. right? You turned... My no wailing and dancing. So you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. That's associated with the wailing. What? Hang on a minute. No one died. He said he'd come up out of the pit. So what the heck does he... What's the metaphor about sackcloth? It's because he's repenting. He's contrite. He's sorry because he didn't realise God was so close he's starting to realize that God was in here all the time. He wasn't abandoned. He wasn't alone. He wasn't forsaken. And then he realized and he goes, oh my goodness, my wailing's turned into dancing. I thought you'd left me, but you were there all the time. He was getting ready for funeral. <laughs> now he's going to a wedding. Right? Another opposite, turned around. It's as if David had realised something. Not just about himself, because God's not interested in shame. He wants us to know his character. And when we realise that, oh my goodness, the shame gets lifted, the freedom comes, the chains fall off, because we know it's not based on us. It's based on God not just the finished work of Christ, the begun work of God from the beginning of time. He's just removing all the obstacles. Because he wants it with us. He wants relationship. David's experience demonstrates that God is the restorer of life, the giver of favour, the author of reversal, Last slide, thanks, Vicky. The one who says, Surprise! And don't we get surprised and go, What? What? No, that can't be you, because I I thought you weren't there. Oh, you mean you were all along? Oh. Okay, sorry. Oh, wow! 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 Boy, have I got that wrong so many times. I'm not going to get that wrong again. Duh. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> if you like me, you will. So what does this teach us? Okay? What's it teach us? Last slide. That God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is the restorer of life. Right? He is the resurrection and the life. He always wants relationship with him. And most importantly, we can trust him. Amen. Folks, we can trust him. This is a God who has our best interest at heart. Yes, yeah, sure stuff happens around us. I won't go into, i with you some before, some of the things that have happened in my life. And since I was with you last time, we have buried six family members, the youngest of which was 42 only just three weeks ago. Very tragic, leaving behind a five-year-old son who was running around at the funeral saying, my daddy's gone to sleep and when he wakes up, we're going to play. And my grandson, 13, heard him say this a number of times and he came up and he said, pa, I can't cope. What do I say to him? He doesn't understand death. He doesn't understand God. I said, mate, nothing you can say can prepare him for this. All you need to do is be with him. And he said, how does that work? And I said, mate, God, with you? He said, yeah. I said, "Well, you go be with him? That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Walk the journey, sit with him. And a time of understanding, later on, he'll say, hey, you were there for me, Nash. We have got a God we can trust. Let's trust him. I'm going to pray. I'm not sure what you want to do now, guys, but if you want to finish off, that's okay. Let's pray. God, our creator, the one who from the beginning of time has promised to never leave us or forsake us, He loves us with an everlasting love. And we're reminded of your resurrection and the meaning of your will for us, that you want relationship, beautiful relationship with us. And you're a God of surprises. You're a God of reversals. And you're so close to us that sometimes, like David, we don't see you. We don't see you. We think that cold breeze on our neck is a draught but it's actually you so close. We think that that water dripping cold on the back of our neck is rain, but it's your tears. Father, may we go from this place refreshed in your purpose of loving us so closely and intimately that you'll never leave us. And may our joy and contentment become a shining light in our faces, in our words, in our experiences, with others in our communities. We praise you for your everlasting commitment to that relationship with humanity and the love that you express through your presence, your creation, and the people that we have around us. In Jesus' name, we give thanks. Amen. Amen. Amen.